Hey everyone and welcome to this special Soapbox edition of the Risky Business Podcast. My name's Patrick Gray. These Soapbox podcasts are wholly sponsored and that means everyone you hear in one of these Soapbox editions paid to be here. Uh, but yeah, we've got a great interview for you today. Uh, in this edition, we're talking to Andrew Morris, the founder of Grey Noise. So uh, Grey Noise operates a global network of sensors that collect data on things like mass scanning and reconnaissance and mass exploitation. So the idea is if your SOC gets an alert from a particular IP, you can see if it's associated with mass scanning and exploitation or if it's something that's just targeting you. Uh, So that's the SOC use case there, saves people a lot of time. Uh, but there are other use cases as well, like uh, telco abuse teams uh, use grey noise to find com- uh, compromised customer devices. You know, grey noise will track the time period uh, through which an IP might have been doing bad stuff. So you can match that uh, against your IP assignment logs to find out which customer has a problem, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, and as you'll hear, there are other use cases as well. So MSPs are finding it extremely useful. Uh, and so do other security vendors who offer products and services that can can benefit from this sort of intelligence. Uh, so we're talking about a few things with Andrew today. And my favorite part of this interview is where he talks about being able to selectively port forward attacks that are targeting his sensor network to a data center, uh, hosting, you know, VMs running the services that are being targeted. That's that's really uh, an interesting part of the conversation, you know, why run a vulnerable service at the edge a la honeypot, traditional honeypot, when you can just start redirecting that traffic from the edge to what is essentially an instrumented big honeypot uh, under Grey Noise's control. Uh, it's extremely cool. And uh, yeah, it took until 2023, but we finally have a practical application for internet facing honeypots, which is awesome. Woo. Uh, but I will drop you in here where Andrew is talking about the recent ESXi ARGS uh, mass ransomware attack. And I do hope you enjoy this interview. Here's Andrew. Yeah, so this is actually a weird one for a couple of different reasons. And there's a couple like really interesting takeaways. What we know for sure is that Basically, um, a bunch of boxes on the internet that were running ESXi clusters started, they got compromised and they started displaying ransom notes and they were not able to actually turn any of the VMs on or anything like that. And um, it was traced kind of back to a vulnerability with it. The root cause of it is still unknown. At at the time of us talking about this, the root cause, root vulnerability is unknown. And um, and it, it is purportedly some kind of vulnerability in the open SLP uh, sort of protocol in ESXi. So this is basically a classic case of like mass exploitation, right? This is where essentially like an adversary, instead of starting with the target and uh, compromising the target and enumerating the the software running in the target, compromising it, operating on it and putting yeah, ransomware they, they started, in to achieve They started effect, with the bug, right? <laughs> they started with the bug and they, and they just blasted as much of the internet as they possibly could to infect it and to compromise it. And it happened very, very quickly. Right. And so a couple of really interesting things there. But like what is one of the things that is interesting is the speed, the velocity that this actually took place on. The second thing that's interesting is that um, it's still unclear necessarily which vulnerability was actually used to do this. So you're um, the first person to, t- like- for, to tell me that, actually, because when we spoke about it, we were just like, oh, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a known CVE, two years old in OpenSLP. But what you're saying is like could be one of three uh, in that <laughs> in that. Yeah, um, it's service. it's. Um, yeah, at least right now, I mean, like based on what we're hearing and based on some of the defenders that we're kind of like chatting back and forth with is that um, it's just not altogether clear that either either there's a workaround possibly for the patch that's actually deployed right now. It's possible that it's a vulnerability that we don't know about right now. 
Um, but there's ambiguity and we're still kind of trying to figure it out. But it is um, it is clear that if you're up to date with your patches, you will not be impacted by this though, right? So that's like, we know it's not Ode. I think I think we're still kind of trying to figure that out right now. And, Ooh, uh, and so, intriguing, yeah. intriguing. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to go and like say anything that we don't know for sure to be true. But what we can say is that as it relates, like specifically like, like initial access vector, there's still a lot of ambiguity that we're still kind of trying to figure out. I guess one question I have is, you know, it's my feeling that by the time the advisories come out saying you want to go patch your two-year-old, you know, ESXi boxes that haven't eaten a patch in two years, by the time someone is reading that document, I'm guessing every single one of these things that is attached to the internet has already been rinsed, right? Like, is there there a single vulnerable box left that was still standing after 24 hours. Like how quick actually was this thing? Cause you are one of the few people in the world who would actually be in a position to tell me that. Yeah. So like in this, in this particular case, like this, this is an example of us trying to like provide, like basically gray noising and ungray noisable vulnerability or something. We did not actually have real ESXi servers running at the time of this happening. So all we saw would have been like raw scan traffic at the time spiking on those different ports, et cetera. Yeah. And so this is kind of one of the reasons why strategically it's really important for us to like be expanding our fleet and make sure that like our sensors look like as many things as humanly possible and are well, running and, like- and that your sensors can actually interact with a multi-stage you know payload delivery yeah exactly thing, right yeah i get it exactly but yeah i mean to your point like by the time a text you know advisory goes out to defenders letting everybody know about this thing that's happening as a general rule you know, computers just operate a lot faster than that. And by then, I mean, chances are that, yes, I mean, a lot, most, and, or if not all, because we don't necessarily know the targeting criteria that was used by the adversary, but most, if, or all, are going to actually be compromised already. It happens very, very quickly. Yeah. Of course, of a few hours. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I'd imagine the targeting criteria for this particular crew would be if service exists, ransomware. <laughs> right. It's, and, you know, and, and some, so... One one of the the reasons why sort of collection perspective matters so much is that in certain cases, we actually see things like this happen that interestingly only happen in certain hosting providers or in certain cases, only certain countries or in certain cases, it happens everywhere other than certain countries. And so this is part of the reason why this kind of class of attack can actually be really interesting. And the more sort of eyes that we have on the Internet, and the more 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 places Uh, the more valuable the data is. If we were to like share screen right now and I were to show you like what the data actually looks like from our side, we would actually see the exact number of countries that we actually saw a lot of the scan activity hitting in addition from where we saw it coming from because of how many sensors we've actually got it located in. Yeah, so I mean, I understand that where this thing did a lot of damage at OVH in France and that's why the French were all over like uh, issuing advisories on this. Do Do you have any insight there? Yeah, not really. I mean, it looks like basically, I mean, when stuff like this happens, there's a lot of the time it's it's kind of when sort of like a software, either, you know, SaaS based or kind of an infrastructure as a service based, you know, a cloud provider actually kind of like wholesale is running, you know, some version of the software, like kind of by default for all customers or something like that. That's where you're going to typically find that like there's going to be high clusters of you know, some compromise or whatever. It's going to be when lots of people are running the same version of a thing. And sometimes that's actually outside of the user's control. And so in this particular case, it just looks like that that was being very heavily deployed in OVH. Uh, yeah. And so in this case, that's like, that's kind of why it was like sort of 
at least seems to have, you know, been a been a pretty large pattern, at least in their provider. So, you know, you, you kind of alluded to this before, right? But, you know, you cannot have, you cannot emulate every service all at once. Um, so quite often what you have to do is your sensors will just sit there, you know, swallowing anything that gets sent to it, but they might not have the correct responses to solicit the next stage of an attack. Um, this SLP service, is this something that is delivered via web or is it is it actually its own service on its own port? This is a, this is a network discovery service, like kind of RP, almost RPC protocol with like, as it relates, like doing service discovery on networks. It's a part, it's a component of, it's an open protocol that's used as a component of ESXi. Um, and so in this case, to your point, you're exactly right. Like the challenge actually does very much become how do you have vulner how do you have visibility on a thing before it happens, before any bad anything bad happens, to be able to provide useful insight and then sometimes well, the kind of what, what <laughs> the reason I mentioned what, like web services is because <clears throat> you know, you can spin up uh, you know, everything that's port specific, you can kind of create something that'll emulate that service to solicit that's right. that's, from that's an easy. you know, that's that's easy, right? But when it's a web based yep. service, you can't really do that because you need to pretend to be all of the web services at once on the same port, which is just, you know, right. that's hard. That's really hard. That's really difficult, right? And so that's why, like, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head of why this is challenging. Um, you have, in, in this particular case, like, this is the reason why when you do what Gray Noise does, there's a few things that matter a lot that gauge how effective you're able to be at staying ahead of instances of mass exploitation. And so in this case in particular, number one, you need to have as many points of presence in, as humanly possible in as many places as humanly possible. So that's dumb, that's easy, everybody knows that. Then as it relates to kind of interaction, you also actually have to be able to cycle through personas or you know the different actual sort of um, profiles of software that you are pretending to be, or in certain cases actually being. And there are certain things that you can derive based on what you know about what somebody is looking for. You can actually cycle through different things. But at the end of the day, there is really no way to, this is basically reversing a state problem from yes. sort of a black box perspective. That's what makes this so difficult is that you're reverse engineering the questions that somebody else is doing to rebuild state from the outside perspective. Well, I, I just checked while you were talking and, and, and like open SLP is like on port 427, right? So that one, you know, tick, that's nice and easy, but quite often too, with some of these protocols and demons, you know, they'll plumb their web app through to it somehow so that you can do a post request to interact with the service and then that might be a way to exploit it. And, you know, like it's just, it all gets, it all gets a bit complicated. But the, the whole reason I asked about that is like when this first kicked off, you know, you, as you said, you would have seen the uh, scanning activity. What did you then do in response? Like, did you actually start, did you actually quickly build uh, an open SLP emulator so you could get more information? Like what, what what's the current state of your ability to observe uh, attackers targeting open SLP on VMware ESXi boxes globally. So today, the way that gray noise works is that we've got a programmable sensor that we use. We're basically, it's I think just I remember work. when you did this, like you basically yeah. created a, a, a Swiss army emulator, right? That's exactly right. So basically like we're handling all the socket management and basically what we're doing is it's scaffolding. It's functionally, if this, then that, uh, if this, then that 
logic of um, yeah, if you get this sort of request, reply, give it this sort of response, and blah 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 blah. Exactly. And so what we've figured out is basically that that works, you know, to a certain extent. But what we've realized, kind of in our sort of research endeavors to this, is that there's literally no alternative to running the actual software. So early on in R and D, that's interesting. Yeah. What we're doing now is basically, and this is the path forward for us. What we're doing now is we're actually starting to develop like the, the to scale the capability of basically just using packet shaping, traffic shaping and packet forwarding. And we're actually routing off the packets to actual versions of the software that are running somewhere So instead else. of having to run the service everywhere in the world, you can have a whole bunch of services running in one data center or on a bunch of VMs or, you know, in the cloud or whatever, and then port forward from a sensor to that service. And you can do that selectively too, right? So you That's don't exactly need to forward right. everything. Yeah. And and what's really cool is that's like that's pretty badass, that Andrew can, Morris. That's yeah, pretty you, cool. You, yeah, <laughs> you can actually. I mean, what's really cool with that is then you can apply basically complex routing rules, right? So you can do you can do kind of um, content inspection, which says if the path looks like this, go to that sensor. If it came from this country, go to that piece of hardware. If it comes from this customer, then send it to this place. And so you can do one-to-one -one mapping where you've basically got every destination as its own separate little tenant of software. You can do one-to-many where you've basically got a thousand different sensors that are all pointing to the same Microsoft Exchange server or something like that. But you run into all kinds of different fun challenges. The point is that like we've, we've actually graduated from just this sort of like basic socket, you know, let's just get that early recon, whatever thing, right? To now it's like, no, I, mean, I really need to know you know, what vulnerability, what version of software, what actually happens, what's dropped when the exploit is successful, you know, et cetera, Well, et I was going to say, like, from then, you, you, you're you going to be collecting intelligence on more than just malicious IPs and botnets and, thing, and things like that, which is where you started. From that point, you know, you were collecting, you know, you're collecting people's uh, Trojans, their malware, that's you right. know, maybe even their exploits, depending on how you've um, set That's up exactly those right. services. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. I mean, in that case, so what we're doing is, you know, you what you end up with is three net new different kinds of artifacts than what we have right now. We end up with packet capture, so PCAPs, right? That's great. That's a good thing, right? That's You can use that for detection engineering, et cetera. You end up with actually like much more introspection on, on command and control servers, so binaries that are actually dropped or downloaded, et cetera, the command and control servers that they end up attempting to communicate with and the distribution servers that they're coming with, and then the actual application and the system logs. And that that's really, really useful for figuring out when a piece of software is actually exploited because that's where you see the process forking off or the network connection being made or whatever. You see the stack trace, you see the crash happen, like whatever, right? And so these are three different net new kinds of artifacts that we're actually able to collect now at Gray Noise, and we're starting to actually build data services around and make those available to our customers. But it's a ton of data. It's like a massive yeah. amount of data. But I mean, and that's that's, that's, it, that's why it's useful because like kind of what you're describing is like instant an instantly configurable global visibility honeypot, right? And and honeypots right. honeypots are the idea that just you know. Everyone was so excited about honeypots, like, you know, in the late 90s, right? Honeypots were the coolest thing where you put it, you know, uh, for those who are not familiar, because there might be people listening to this who can't even remember what a honeypot was, but it was like you'd put a system out there that looked vulnerable, wait for someone to interact with it, capture all their tools, and then spin that into intelligence. The problem was, of course, that most honeypots, all they were good at picking up was really low-grade stuff. That's right. Um, genuinely low-grade stuff. Whereas, you know, what you're talking about at, you know, massive scale when you can just say, okay, show me everyone hitting the open SLP service on port 427 in Singapore, send uh -huh. that to our actual, 
you know, yes. uh, uh, 427 service at this data center, all of them, yes. send it over and let's see what happens. Like that is, you know, that's going to be more useful than a single honeypot pretend masquerading as a single service stuck at that's a data exactly center right. somewhere in Cleveland. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is actually, this is actually pretty cool. It's, it's incredibly cool uh, and it's incredibly complex. There's like all these net, these new scale problems that we're encountering as we're actually building this stuff out. And so from you hit the nail on the head, it's a programmable, configurable global honeypot that you can use to actually detect a lot of different stuff. It shakes out a lot of net, really, really interesting new artifacts around it that I'm obsessed with, I'm endlessly fascinated with. And basically what we end up with is I mean, ideally, these are the things that you need to combat mass exploitation. I sound like a broken record, but like yeah. it's one thing to figure out where the internet background noise is. It's another thing to, you know, to help security defenders actually like make sure they're not responding to something stupid, right? But it's a whole new complex problem trying to actually actively combat, right, and counter this mass exploitation stuff that happens. And that's the goal. That's the target. Right. And so in order to do that, you just need to have a smarter set of capabilities. You need to have more introspection on the packets and the network traffic. You need to have more introspection on the host itself. And you need to have more introspection on the artifacts, the system logs, stuff like that. But like once you do that, you actually end up with a really, really, really cool security product that we're shaping up with right now. And I'm just, I don't know, I'm jazzed about it. It's the long yeah, short. Yeah, I, I, I love it, right? Like, it's very, very cool. Um, but I am curious too, like you're talking about port forwarding from some edge sensor you've got out in Timbuktu, right? That's right. And you're trying to forward that into into your emulated proper service or not even emulated, but maybe instrumented service in a, in a data yep. center somewhere. <clears throat> yep. Have you run into issues like latency between the edge and the actual service, like causing the protocol to like not work and things like that. Cause I, you know, when, when you describe something like that, it's like, oh, that sounds cool, simple idea. But like, I just know that like when you actually go to implement something like that, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah, so I mean, there's a couple of good things that we've got working in our favor on this. Number one, when uh, adversaries are conducting attacks against stuff at massive scale, they're used to hitting like like kind of busted up network systems that are already getting the crap kicked so out of them. So let me guess, they're actually, they're actually tailoring their attacks to deal with your crappy latency anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's right. It's a very normal thing to like, like yeah. to have to compromise a switch multiple times because, you know, it actually flickers on and off because of how many other people are compromising it. So there's like, on one <laughs> hand, attacker tooling is actually built to be relatively resilient against like unstable systems. So that's kind of number one. Right. Number two, we have this wonderful benefit of not having to deal with regular business usage. Right. So that means that like the actual amount of traffic by volume is so much lower for what gray noise is actually seeing than a, a, a network that has business users. Nobody that is using these VPNs and stuff like that and these actual pa like packet tunnels are, are browsing the Internet or anything like that. So that reduces that traffic footprint out drastically. And then the very, very last thing is just there's some really clever packet voodoo that you can use to sort of skip trips on the way back to sort of make up some of that lost time from a latency perspective um, that that I'm particularly interested in that we're kind of like sort of working out, you know, on like whether or not it's something that we really need to worry about. Um, and again, I mean, like the, the only other thing here is that like the class of adversary who is doing really intelligent latency detection on systems that are side by side with production systems and gauging that out to figure out whether it's a deceptive or deception service or a honeypot or something like that at this day and at this stage they're outside of our threat model 
Like, we don't care about fooling them. If you are that advanced, then you probably already have some amount of collection capability to figure out where pretty much every honeypot on the entire internet is, right? Uh, you would notice that, like, you brought up the deception thing, not me, right? Because when I think about what you <laughs> built here, <laughs> but I guess, um, you know, let's talk about where, where you get into the applied use cases doing this sort yep. of thing, because it's not in deception, right? In, uh -huh. in, your, in, in what you've described, like your ultimate idea here is to collect intelligence. Grey Noise started by just doing that IP-based intelligence. You've got two absolute slam dunk use cases. You've got the telco abuse teams who need to know when someone on their network is compromised and being used as an endpoint in a botnet, right? And Grey Noise, if you are a telco abuse team and you know, you've got compromised customers, just get Grey Noise, right? Because you're going to be able to find them you're going to be able to kick them off the network or send them an email and say, hey, you need to you know, go and rebuild your computer or whatever. Like That's just going to save you a lot of time. So that's slam dunk use case number one. Slam dunk use case number two is around, I guess, seam enrichment for efficiency purposes, right? If you are plugged into Grey Noise, you're integrated through whatever you know seam tool that you're using, you know pretty quick, you know, by doing a right click, <laughs> you know, on the Grey Noise logo, uh, in a, in a Seam event, you can say, well, you know, this is a, um, you know, mass scan for this thing by this crew doesn't really affect us. Bye-bye. Uh, uh, this is not something, this is not a, 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 a human attacker trying to fingerprint our environment, just bin it, whatever, don't need to worry about it. So that's slam dunk use case number two, which, you know, when you're looking at efficiency these days, everyone's trying to reduce headcount even in the sock and, um, you know, efficiency tools are going to be uh, quite useful. So where is the killer slam dunk use case for the intelligence that you're going to collect by doing all of this cool stuff, Andrew? Yeah, so from my perspective, I'm thinking about combating mass exploitation. I'm thinking about fighting the internet version of a drive-by shooting. I'm thinking about combating... The, the cyber equivalent of a carpet bomb of like something that is like it's it's localized collateral damage it's not a surgical targeted attack it is an attack that is targeting using criteria other than just who the target is starting with the vulnerability and inflicting as much damage as humanly possible on a large array of targets based on some criteria that's the problem that i'm going after right and so from my perspective what you need to do is step one, you got to know that it's happening as soon as humanly possible, right? Step two, you have to figure out sort of where the attacks are happening from. You have to be able to fingerprint and identify that it's happening from these different places. Step three, you have to actually push block instructions out for all to all of the different people who are running that software, right? So it doesn't make any sense to tell Ford Motors to block uh, a IP that is attempting to exploit exchange if they are running send mail, right? And so you have to actually do some level of like who's running the software, who needs to actually temporarily swat this stuff away. And the name of the game is to give people, yeah, it's to give people a quieter, safer perimeter. But again, we're not trying to solve, you know, world hunger with this. We're trying to buy you some time. That's yeah. what we're trying to do. We are not keeping you safe forever. We do not have the long-term solution for mass exploitation, really generally broadly. We are trying to buy you a couple days so that you can actually apply the more permanent solution. 
And so from my Which is don't run exchange, for God's sakes, people. <laughs> in, this, in this case, I mean, it's basically you've got to learn as much as you possibly can about that attack, where it's happening from. you got to swat away as much of that as you possibly can, and you've got to give defenders the opportunity to actually apply the more permanent solution. And anybody who says that they have a security product that's going to magically make all these problems go away, they're wrong. They yeah. don't, right? So, like, sometimes you just have to sit tight and wait for the vendor to give but you I guess, the thing But I guess what I'm do. asking about is, like, you know, the way that you've done the port forwarding and stuff. Like, I guess from your perspective, that just lets you be extra confident when you're making determinations about what is and what is not mass scanning, right? And mass exploitation. That's right. Well, so, yeah, yeah exactly. And, that, and basically, so like... So, it's not, it's not like this leads to a different use case. It's just, like, engineering that supports your primary use case. Yeah, I mean, I think that's largely true, right? And like at some point, I mean, we're getting up to the point of scale and customer adoption at this point where like we need to be right every single time or else bad things happen. And so the difference between us purporting that an IP address is exploiting a vulnerability based on some <laughs> network traffic that we saw and us literally yeah, seeing... Yeah, you've got, you've, got you've got the problem that I ran into at some point in my career, which is serious people now take you seriously and you have to, yeah. you have to behave accordingly. <laughs> right, and so, so there's a big difference between an IP address doing something that looks like it might be dangerous at large scale based on its network traffic and an IP address that is doing something that causes a piece of software that is running a specific version to all of a sudden spawn a new process, spawn a network communication, drop a binary, right? And so we have to be that correct. That's how correct we have to be, and that's how fast we have to do it if we're going to provide anything that is even remotely useful at countering mass exploitation. And the world is continuing to sort of heat up around this kind of stuff. People are realizing how easy it is to conduct these mass exploitation attacks. And based on a lot of different reasons, there are different actors around the world who increasingly have a motivation to inflict large, you know, damage based on things other than organization. And I'm not trying to put on a tinfoil hat. I'm just trying to be practical. No, no, no. So I, get, means... I get it. And I, I'm just sitting here. My wheels are turning. And like what you say is quite right. Like this isn't a problem you can solve. But what you can do is when someone is trying to hit, you know, the ultimate end stage of your technology, when it is as successful as it can be, is gonna be when someone initiates a mass exploitation attack against the whole internet. And by the time they're 25% of the way through that attack, you've rolled out, you know, block rules to all of your customers, right? And maybe 25% of your customers are gonna get rinsed, but maybe the other 75% aren't. And I, and I feel like that's, you know, that's about as far as you can push something like this, I think. You know, you might you might have some early stage intelligence though on someone doing preparation for one of these things, but ultimately, yeah, it's about reducing the risk, right? And making it less that's likely exactly to happen right. and protecting the bulk of your customers the best you can. Reducing the impact, right? Like reducing yeah. the 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 compromise the the number of systems that get out, reducing. But it's, the amount but it's of funny that we're even talking about this because this isn't why people buy grain noise. They don't buy no, it. No, it's that, not. Right? Like... But this, is, this is the future for us. This is yeah, what yeah. we're building, and this is this is the direction that we're taking the technology. It took actually being the foremost people who are detecting a specific kind of thing. I was over here asking myself this question. Every time there is like a, a big bad vulnerability that gets disclosed, everybody asks the same question, right? Like, how much do I care about this, right? And I'm over here thinking like, there are at least four different sub-markets within cybersecurity that should be answering this question. Why aren't they, right? Mm. And I'm thinking about, I'm, th I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, right? But some combination 
of the threat intelligence industry, the vulnerability management industry, the perimeter security industry, and the MDR side. Some combination of those four people should be able to tell you when a really bad thing is happening at massive scale and doing something about it. But just because of the technicals of it, right, which are outside of the scope of a lot of the way that their technology works, they aren't able to do that today. It's a limitation of the strategies of a well, lot of these different yeah, companies. And so that's why I'm like, this is what I, it, I every time that vulnerability comes out and I'm like, we're always the first ones on it. I'm like, wait, we need to focus on stopping this. That's yeah. the future for us. That is the future for us. No, I get it. And it's it's interesting too, because currently, like, forgive me if I'm wrong, but you know, your whole business model is you sell directly to the people who are going to consume your information, right? So you sell to the organizations, whether they're government. And I understand government's a big area for you, right? Uh, because they have a national security prerogative to be a little bit more concerned about this stuff than the average enterprise. But, you know, so you're selling directly to these organizations who might use it in their SOC. But, you know, there's a lot of, potential i mean i can see that it's a it's a very easy sale to mdr companies because it will save them a lot of time and stress and market around and they won't have to spend as much time sitting around figuring out weird scanning activity because you've already done it right so there's a there's a sort of scale efficiency thing there that you can deliver that's going to save them money right so i can imagine the mdrs going for it but i can also see certain vendors going for it right like if you make a seam you know if you're a splunk or a or uh, uh, what's Microsoft's one, Sentinel, you yeah, know, or even yep, or even Sentinel. like a Snowflake app or whatever. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. You know, I can certainly see that it could plug in on a vendor level at an MDR level as well at a, you know, you see what I'm getting at, right? You know, I understand that your strategy has been to sell directly to, to organizations, but are you having conversations with vendors as well about how they can sort of integrate this into their, uh, into their products and their, that's the, you know, that's the, displays that's or the, whatever? That's the fastest growing part of our business internally right now is basically like is is what we've kind of figured out is that, you know, there's basically I mean, other work partnering with um, the basically security vendors that are already providing stuff to the customer. It reduces friction for the customer, it reduces, you know, adoption timeline. It, it makes sure that things are more usable. Right. And it just kind of facilitates sort of I mean, ideally, if something's irrelevant to the customer, they wouldn't see it at all right in the first place. So they'd skip that whole enrichment step, right? And then the other thing is like, I don't know, like just speaking as empathetically as I can, security buyers have been very clear that they want to consolidate vendors as much as they possibly can, right? Like they don't want to have That's a That's an interesting thought vendors. though, by the way, that, you know, someone like, someone like Microsoft could use your data to just like strip dumb stuff out of the seam, you know, That's to actually improve I, the signal to noise. That's cool. We have several very large customers that that's the use case that they do. They make sure it's, I mean, it's kind of like a CYA kind of thing, right? It's like, I don't want to send something to the customer if Gray Noise is 100% sure that it's Googlebot, right? I'm going to look yeah. like an idiot, right? <laughs> and so we're kind of like helping these companies like not, I mean, in, in a certain way, it's offloading risk, right? But we're like, we put a lot of money and resources into being right and correct about these things specifically, and we maintain that system. And that costs a lot of money and a lot of human capital to do that. But that's all we do, right? And yeah. so, so we're we're trying. Well, that's kind of what I meant by vendors. by sort of you know efficiency at scale, right? It's, like exactly. If and so you know, that can be for the that can to your point that can be true for the security operations center for the guy in the sock for the person in the sock. Right. This can be this for them. It can also be the case for the security vendor, the threat intelligence vendor, the sim vendor, etc. And so, you know, again, and it's just basically ultimately like hand less data to the user, hand fewer alerts to the user and ensure that the things that you do tell them about or the data that you do, do display is worth more. 
is actually more valuable, is more useful, is more valuable, is more actionable. And that's something that we're doing with a lot of different security vendors right now. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that you've essentially built a product that can make everyone's life just a little bit incrementally better and less, you know, less of a pain, this right? Is, so this, is that's my, the... this is my promise, right? My promise is like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to solve cyber cancer. I'm not going to make all your problems go away. I'm not going to make all the bad, like all of the bad actors stop attacking you or whatever. I guarantee we will give you a couple hours back every day. Right. Yeah. We will give you like a hundred percent day in, day out. We will absolutely do that. In the future, again, I'm hoping to take a big whack out of this actual mass exploitation problem that I believe is getting worse and worse and worse. Right. But we're still reaching towards that. And that's a really, really hard, hairy problem. It's like I, I know you know, and like this is something that I've kind of been working on for a while. I've been harping on this stuff for a little while. And this is where to me the goal, the dream is that these block decisions are actually made at the ISP level. But this, I mean, this goes back to stuff we've talked about before. Yeah. And so, and it's, it's a process, right? And so part of why I'm telling you all of this right now is that I want people to understand the game plan. And I want people to understand that like, we're investing a lot of money into maturing and making our, our sensor network as advanced as possible with a arm towards eventually just completely combating and ideally, you know, making as as infeasible as possible the concept of mass exploitation that's what i want to end so as you continue to see us roll stuff out and and announce different products and features etc that's what we're going after and and that's yeah. and I, I would just want that to, and and as i you know reach out and try to partner with hosting providers and stuff like that that's what we're looking to do it's like you know it's basically to stop this stuff from making it to the internet at all the the pieces are all there yeah. And um, and it executing on this is difficult. We're already moving billions of messages at scale on a budget that is one one hundredth of that that most other companies are have to move billions of messages a day. <laughs> yeah. So right, it's our, it's challenging. It's hard, right? It really is. And so like this, uh, but the pieces are all there. The, there is no one part of this that is rocket science. Every single one of these pieces is already like broadly agreed upon. A, gro a broadly agreed upon technological way to accomplish a little thing all we're doing is bundling it together and focusing it on one problem which is happens to be a big hairy gross unsolved problem and <laughs> and trying to bring that to as many customers as possible and this is this is from my perspective I, I mean i get that it's big and i get that it's challenging but like none of this stuff is rocket science and i think that we're well equipped to do it so i mean you know I'll, I'll keep reporting back on the progress that we're making, but this is uh, this is what we're doing. And it's not, you know, this is, I, I think this is a problem worth kind of going after. Agreed. Uh, Andrew Morris, thank you so much for joining us for this Soapbox edition. It's always great to chat to you, man. It's always heaps of fun. Listeners love hearing from you as well. So uh, yeah, great to talk to you, man. And we'll uh, talk to you again soon. I have such a great time on this show, Patrick. Thanks so much for having me. I'll talk to you soon. That was Andrew Morris from Grey Noise Intelligence there. And uh, you can still go to greynoise.io and plug in an IP to get intelligence on it for free. Uh, go give it a spin. Just head to greynoise.io and click on the Explore Our Data button on the top left. But that is it for today's Soapbox edition. I do hope you've enjoyed it. Until next time, I've been Patrick Gray. Thanks for listening.